Welcome to Glass Half Full Moon, where if we didn't find alternative means of protein to survive, Full Moon features would go out of business. Tonight is a rather special episode because it's been a long time since since we've seen a movie of this caliber on this podcast. I would go as far as to say this is the we have yet to see a movie of this caliber on the podcast before. That that is fair. That is fair. Um so tonight we are talking about 1995's Castle Freak, directed by Stuart Gordon. This film is loosely based on The Outsider by H.P. Lovecraft, a story written in first-person narrative of an individual secluded for all their life, reaching the outside world for the first time and finding themselves to be a hideous, grotesque creature after witnessing their likeness in a mirror. Or I guess, how I wake up every morning. Badoom Tish. <laughs> but I take it that you read this. I, I did. This is a very, very short read. It, it took me, like five minutes it would take someone five to ten minutes based on their reading level so what you're saying is you got to read a lovecraft short story where i get to read the um uh, charles band autobiography you did that to yourself there's been some fascinating discoveries namely speaking of the castle freak what we have been referring to as the the uh, the the band castle in Romania is in fact not the castle he owned. It is this castle in Italy. Yes. Um, speaking of fascinating things, this the way this film got made is very interesting because so this is a cult classic film. I will say that out of the gate, this is a cult classic. This is probably the best film we're going to talk about on this podcast in God knows how long. But Stuart Gordon saw a poster for this film in Charles Band's office. Just a picture of a man chained, getting beaten by a woman with a whip. There was no script, but Band offered it to Gordon to do whatever he wanted with it. Casting, story, etc., what have you. Gordon had complete control as long as he kept with a small budget and kept the concept of a castle and a freak. Now, this is something Gordon had not had since Reanimator, and he took it and ran with it. And so we got this. It, that is incredibly interesting, because as we've, as, as has been brought up before, Charles Band often markets films exclusively based on the poster. And, and it worked. It worked in this one. In... What resulted was a genuinely good movie. Yes. This, I enjoyed this movie thoroughly. But to be fair, I'm also familiar with Gordon's previous work. This doesn't feel Full Moon. This feels Stuart Gordon. Right. This, as I was watching it, I didn't write down many notes simply because I was enjoying watching it. Now, I, I did write many notes, but that's because I've got the memory of a goldfish. But also, I was enthralled with this movie. It was incredibly good. Yes. There is a reason we keep calling this movie a cult classic, because it is. This is actually another one where it's like, we said with Dollman, go and watch this yourself. This is a good one. We highly recommend going and watching this one. 
Now there is definitely a well, lot well, of nudity. Hang on, hang on. You're you're speaking for me. I might have a different opinion. I don't, but I wanted to be clear. <laughs> I think you're correct. Gabe, I wouldn't speak for you if it wasn't accurate. No, as you said, there's there is a decent amount of nudity. I would go as far as to say there are there is some genuinely grotesque gore. I would say it's lighter on the gore than Reanimator was, but to be fair, um, Gordon also had a rather small budget to work with because this film was made on about five hundred thousand dollars. Right, and but the gore that is there, and we'll get to it. It's pretty good. Yes. And the nudity doesn't feel gratuitous. The nudity feels like it's in the film where it is meant to be in there. It feels appropriate. Correct. And just, I could write a paper on this movie. I legitimately could write a thesis paper on this movie. Well, maybe not a full thesis, but I could write a paper on this movie. Just in terms of some of its themes and whatnot. But I suppose we should get into it. Well, what we get into is a cold open, which is very much not the case for a lot of these films. But it is the case with a lot of Gordon films. We could a cold open with an old lady making food. Kind of food. It's not really good food. She's haphazardly cutting some bread and preserved meat, carrying it through a castle to deliver it into the dungeons while a sweet baby kitty follows her. This is the best cat actor I've ever seen. I I don't know about that. I would say the cat who plays church in Pet Cemetery is better, but I'm biased. This is a good such a good cat actor. He's always he always goes where he needs to go. He but always... he's also not fixed. Well, listen, cat balls are funny to look at. <laughs> they are. That is true. That is very true. I guess if any animal is to not be fixed, it's fine if it's cats because they're very funny. They're small and fuzzy. But she is taking this food down to the dungeon. And at first I'm like, oh no, don't feed, don't feed the freak, the cat, come on. But she doesn't, thankfully. But she does, so she opens up this dungeon and inside is like a hunched figure covered in gray skin. And she's just beating him with this like cat of nine tails. Yes, the cat of nine tails that she, she left it on the wall outside the door on a hook. Obviously, this is ritual for them. This is something that happens yes. commonly. And it's, it's then shown to not even have been necessary to go inside because there is a food slot through the door. So she is just beating this individual out of pure malice. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That yes. is actually a really good, it's such good storytelling. Yes, it's it's silent storytelling like this that makes the rare gems we get like this worth it. The well, While she's doing it, while she's doing it, we can see her struggling and like, it looks like she's having a heart attack. And as she goes upstairs, lays in her bed and drops the whip beside her, she she dies from presumably exertion and just old age. Yes. This cold open is already more entertaining than most full moon films we've watched. And already has way more story. And the cat sees his bowl is empty and starts making lots of noise. Yes. Bowl is empty. Like, meow, need food. Well, 
Bowl yeah. empty. Bread moldy. Lady moldy. <laughs> Lady does mold up real quick. She does. I thought that mold. was going to be some kind of a soup, some kind of a supernatural element, but it wasn't. She just got. She was just waiting. <laughs> no, but we then get our opening credits, which is the standard full moon fair, but. This movie stars a couple of our favorites, Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton. A delightful pairing. Yes. What was the last thing we saw Jeffrey Combs in? Was it Lurking Fear? I think it might have been Lurking Fear, which does have... There is some Lurking Fear elements in here. We'll get to it. There is, but might I also add, the score for this movie is phenomenal. It's quite good. I loved the music. The music for this movie is very good. It's just another one of those pieces that goes into the movie that just builds upon it to make a good movie. Yes. And now I will say that this movie did take me a little by surprise because this movie, as campy as Gordon films typically tend to be, this one played itself very seriously. There was some intense scenes, some real good intense acting from Jeffrey Combs. Yes, I will I will say there were some notions of bad acting, but you know what? That's pretty common in anything that you see. But Combs and Crampton play John and Susan Riley, a couple who moved to Italy with their blind daughter Rebecca after John inherited the castle. Sure, I guess that, that just can happen. It's amazing that he went through with it and not, not assuming that it was a scam. Well, I mean, he, he did even mention to their lawyer that we initially thought this was a scam. But no, he legitimately inherits a castle. But of course, he wants to sell. So they are staying within the castle grounds in order to take inventory of everything that's within it because it is all theirs. And liquidate no, it all. No, it, it, it is all Charles Band's. Funny story, funny story, apparently they had to very, very quickly clean up any and all blood scenes in this film because the next day it was going to be a Charles Band family reunion. Yes, um, so Charles Band arrived on July 8th. Come July 7th, they were about a day and a half behind schedule in terms of shooting. Charles Band and his family arrives on July 8th and says, y'all need to be done by the 9th. So, yeah. But this is also the same castle Damn. that the Pit and Pendulum had been filmed in. Another Stuart Gordon film. Right. Right. And it's it's an Italian castle, we should say. that This is all set in Italy. Yes. Which, as I've been going through the Charles Band autobiography, he did grow up in Italy. Hmm. And apparently he ran a unsanctioned nightclub for teenagers when he was 15 like just outside the roman pantheon huh allegedly allegedly yeah anything charles band says you do kind of have to take with a grain of salt he certainly was one of those people that had a very eccentric upbringing you couldn't not have an eccentric upbringing to be him Though at the same time, I have to ask why he would blatantly lie like that. <laughs> oh, you never know. But we are introduced to the housekeeper, Agnese. But we we find that John and Susan's marriage seems to be on the rocks as Susan asks the housekeeper to prepare a separate room for him. That is very good, subtle storytelling. 
Yes. As we find out shortly thereafter that John's got a history of alcohol abuse. And he was driving drunk and caused a car accident, which resulted in their daughter Rebecca losing her sight and their five-year-old son JJ dying. And Susan still has not forgiven him for this. Well, it seems to imply that it was about, like, what, nine months ago? It implies that, but we do find that it's been a couple of years. It's just that John has been sober for nine months. Okay. But, well, what we, when we get the information of him being an alcoholic and him crashing the car that is done as a nightmare while John is sleeping alone, where suddenly he hears the crying of a child, which I think that is, that can't possibly be the freak, because the freak is like 40 years old at this stage, right? So that has to be something in his head. No, you say that. So John hears this sobbing from the depths of the castle and goes to follow it, thinking he's hearing his son. He instead finds a massive wine cellar full of temptation, and he about takes a drink. But instead, he bashes one of the bottles, cutting his hand. And as he's cleaning up the cut... And Yase sits down with him to tell him the story of the duchess who owned the castle. How she had a baby boy named Giorgio, who apparently died at age five. Her husband was an American soldier who left. And rumors are that the duchess killed her son as revenge against the man who left her. And that the castle is haunted as people can hear Giorgio crying in the night. So you would initially think that the crying that John heard was in his head, but no. There's precedence to this. He is not the only one who has heard it. Right. Yeah, again, I guess that's one of the things about this movie is there is a lot for interpretation as well. Yes. And as stated, with that interpretation, you you could write so many papers on this. And another... The next scene after this also has another bit of subtle... subtle writing, subtle subtle storytelling, where the blind daughter is listening to a tape attempting to kind of like, where the tape is stating Italian uh, phrases in Italian, and then she's trying to learn it. But the phrases are like, the water is blue, the flower is red, and you can see her starting to tear up. Because it's it's that realization of, oh, I'm not going to see color ever again. Yeah. The... The actor who plays the daughter, I don't recall her name. Um, This was the last film that she's been in. She's not done any acting since. But she did did a pretty good job with this one, I would say. Yeah, her name is Rebecca. Yes, the- well, the daughter's name is Rebecca, yes. Oh, the the actress? The actress is Jessica Dollarhide. Yes. It's a very strange name. Yeah, this is the last thing that she's been in that I've been able to to parse from the internet. Um, She didn't really do much before this either. But she did a fairly good job here, I would say. Especially with that subtlety. But Rebecca is pulled along by her father to take some inventory around the castle. And he finds the Duchess's old room, 
with the cat of nine tails that had fallen under the bed. And as he's looking through some photo albums, including a torn in half photo of what I'm presuming to be an American soldier, Becky hears some weird scratching and goes off exploring alone to find what it is. So I don't. This is very dumb on her part. I'm going to be honest. It is, but I can kind of understand it because, like, she's been blinded and her parents are are especially coddling her because of it. And she's trying to learn to be independent again. So I can understand her mindset in this. Plus, what? Plus, when she goes off on her own, she finds that cute kitty cat. She does find the cat. But we forgot to mention that in the Duchess's room... There's a mural on the ceiling of Saturn eating his children. Wait, is there? Which, there is. I didn't notice that. Yeah, no, it is. there's a picture of Saturn consuming his children. And, oh. I, and I just wrote in my notes, damn it, Saturn, stop consuming your children. <laughs> Not that's, again. No, but that's even, oh, that's such a good little addition, too. Right. Knowing right? what we know about this right. movie, that's such a good addition. It's very good. Oh, beauty. Beautiful subtlety. I love it. I love it. Which I th- I think that was a part of the ca- castle itself, so they didn't. Ha- they just kind of found it there. Huh? I guess it worked. It worked quite well, but Rebecca follows the cat as best she can through the castle. And she has managed to find herself downstairs in right outside the dungeon cell of the titular castle freak yes and the cat again bowl is empty cat is very cat wants bowl filled well he's not the only one who wants the bowl filled because uh as rebecca manages to make her way back upstairs the cat tries to follow her as he had slipped inside. And unfortunately, this is the last we see of this poor kitty. At least alive. Now, here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. The cat gets dragged in. But when we cut back to the freak, he is very clearly eating a fake cat coated in pasta sauce. So in my head canon, he was just pulling the cat in for a nice hug. <laughs> I mean, you can believe that if it helps you sleep at night. It does. I actually needed to get up and hug my cat after that Aww. scene. Aww. But here's here's another little thing that I really liked. After the cat is discarded, our, our titular freak starts attempting to escape his restraints. And he chews oh, yes, yes, off yes, yes. his thumb. In order to slip yes. free of his shackle. Yes. This was grotesque. Oh, it was beauty. It was. It genuinely took me by surprise because of how intense it was with the sound design. And it's one of those things where it's, it's not just gore for the sake of gore. It, or, it's just, it. It genuinely just took me by surprise. Yes. With how effective it was. This this just proves I, that... I had to get up and take a breath. This just proves that even with a small budget in the right hands, something fantastic can be made. Oh yeah, just, just 
care. Just care about your movie. Yes. And we get a small little vignette of the family having food in the castle. And turns out Agnese has been with the castle for a very long time. So obviously she knows something that she's not revealing. And might I say, this roast that they're having is perhaps the greatest looking food that I've ever seen in one of these movies. I will agree to that. So delicious. Jesus. You're making me hungry. I've not had dinner yet. (laughs) Oh, and we see the freak walking around at this point. And I will say, I like the way that this actor is walking around as the freak, where his legs are kind of twi- he's twisting his legs around all weird, like he's not, yes. like he di- hasn't walked before, truly. Yeah, we get this, we get this beautiful animated motion from the actor who plays the freak, because he's portraying this monster who's been restrained for most of his life. His muscles have atrophied. He's got very little muscle mass. And he's been bent and twisted from repeated beatings. It's so good. It's so good. So good. And that's this is the scene where he walks up out of the dungeon. And there's just a mirror just directly in front of him. Sure, whatever. I don't care. It's a good movie. And he looks at it, and he kind of strokes it and smashes it. And that's when I noticed that he didn't have any clothes on. And I'm like, are we going to get full frontal dick in this film? And we'll we'll get to that. (laughs) Yes. He he roams the castle for the first time in ages, very naked, sees his likeness in the mirror, and promptly smashes it to destroy his reflection. And this whole time, Rebecca is insisting someone else is in the castle... And no one believes her. No one believes her. Well, she's a blind woman. She can't know things. <laughs> well, we proceed to the night as our freak finds Rebecca's room and is marveling over her beauty. He... I don't... He's... he's. Oh, is he going to grope her? He's getting real close. I'm getting a little uncomfortable. Oh, but he doesn't. No. He does, however, take her bedsheets as his shackles wake her up. And he runs off with her bedsheets. She's screaming and her parents are like, okay, okay, we believe you. And John goes off to search to see who could be stalking about. And while he does find the dungeon cell, but completely misses the dead and bloodied cat on the ground, he also finds what seems to be the family crypt. Right. Well, here's the thing. Jeffrey Combs isn't very used to dead cats, so we can't be too harsh on him. I would say he's very used to dead cats. That was the joke, Casey. Oh. Well, it flew right over my head. Like a dead cat does. Hey! <laughs> hey! Reanimator joke! No, he joke. does find the family... He finds the family crypt and he sees the picture of the uh, Giorgio. Yes. And it looks almost identical to JJ. Yes. But at least we also find that the freak covers himself up with the sheet that he stole from Rebecca's bed. 
Oh, that was fantastic. That was absolutely fantastic because he was sitting, he was like holding his arms out with the sheet over his head like he was a chair and Jeffrey Combs just walks right past him and then the freak gets up and it's like, oh no, a ghost. <laughs> oh no, a boogity. But the next day the police arrive and they just straight up dismiss the family's claims. The castle makes sounds in the night. John broke the mirror himself. We ain't gonna bother looking through your house. You got 150 rooms here. We ain't got the time for this shit. Yeah, and Jeffrey Combs is like, I want you to search the castle. And gets real like animated for just a moment. Yes. And it is at this point that this turns into a bit of a family drama as Susan outright blames John for their son's death. For Rebecca being blinded, and for John wanting desperately for things to go back to how they were, but apparently he can't take responsibility for his actions. And this is where he he gives in. He lets his his vices get the better of him. Oh wait, no. First, we get some we get some of the best foreshadowing I've ever seen in a movie. We'll get to it. Yes, because. John contemplates jumping from the castle roof. He's he's distraught. He's filled with these horrible emotions with what he's been faced with. How his wife, whom he loves so very much, blames him. And in a sense, she's right. But instead of throwing himself from the roof, he goes into town and throws his sobriety away. That's nine months down the drain. Yep. And not only that, but as he's there, and I do like the scene where he he's an American and he only speaks English and pretty much everyone else only speaks Italian except for so the police. So he's he's except for the police where there is this clear language divide, so they're just kind of using very blunt like mim- like motions and like pointing at things to try and get him to do stuff. Well, I was going to say, that's pretty standard. It's like, if there is a language barrier and you're trying to communicate with someone, you're going to do a lot of gesturing um, to try and get your point across. And it works out fairly well here, especially considering this is Jeffrey Combs acting as though he were in a drunken stupor. Or, or yeah. I wouldn't say stupor, but very inebriated. Well, here's the thing. Yes, that is what that doesn't make sense and is what you'd expect, but it's not what you'd expect from a full moon movie. I think at, at a certain point I forgot this was a full moon movie. Right. Anyway. But you know what I didn't forget? Jeffrey Combs meets up with a prostitute and takes her home. He meets up with a prostitute, takes her home, and we get tits. He takes her home to the castle's wine cellar because while they were at the bar, he accidentally pours her wine glass on her and he's like I owe you a drink but and I know a place that's open all night and it's real quiet he takes her home and he proceeds to have sex with her while while the freak watches Jeffrey Combs doesn't last very long no he doesn't but you know what he's also got that whiskey dick he does have that whiskey dick <laughs> but he he is he's being just 
generally abrasive with this woman. Like he's pouring the wine on her and it's clear she doesn't want it. She's just here to do her job. Yes. And he he finishes with her and we just watch as he breaks down after he realizes what he's done. He pays her. He slides down the wall and it's just one of those things where when Jeffrey Combs has the right material unlike some of the times we've seen him previously on this on this series he's such a good actor yes i i will say if you partner gordon and combs together they're usually going to put out something really good especially when gordon has creative freedom uh bitten the pendulum he didn't have creative freedom with that mm, mm, fair enough but we we can't we can't linger on the good acting for too long because we gotta get some um we gotta get some kidnapping in yeah we gotta get right back to the horror as this prostitute after being paid and dismissed by John has decided to wander about the castle and is abducted by the freak and right. we find that she's not been killed. She's just been taken. Because the next day, the police come to question John as to the whereabouts of this woman, whose name is Silvana. So I will be referring to her as such because we now have her name. Yes. But, but Giorgio has covered his body and face with the bed sheets because he realizes he's grotesque. As to right. the visage he saw in the mirror earlier. And now this is where things get really interesting. This is the part of the film that I could write on end about because we get a clear case of imitation. There is no malice because what we have here is Giorgio or the freak trying to seduce Silvana. He is copying what he saw John doing as he removes her top and... There's there's no ill intent. He is merely copying what he saw because he thinks this is what is supposed to happen. It's, again, one of those things of this could have just been the bog standard. Oh, the weird creature molests a woman. We've yes. seen that a dozen times. Now he does straight eat off her nipple. That is Okay. <laughs> Okay, we're talking artsy, we're talking all that stuff, but he does bite off her nipple, and that is some excellent gore. Congratu congratulations. I l just just on a on a horror gore lover level, it's like, yeah! Yes, but it's, you see, he he's chomping at her, but you also realize that he doesn't know better. What is done out of what is done out of loneliness and lack of understanding and what is done out of actual malice? There's right. Like he's he's going and he's like biting her and like tearing off flesh. But he's Jeffrey Combs was also putting his mouth all over her. And granted, in a different way, but that's he doesn't understand what what he is doing in comparison to what he was doing. This is pure mimicry. This is pure mimicry with a childlike understanding. And this is where the freak 
while he, he does, he is a villain. He is a villainous character, but it's almost along the lines of Frankenstein's monster, where he's much more a victim than he is truly evil. And then we see his dick. Yeah, he, he well, what, there, what remains of it. So did they cut his dick off? Is that Either the implication? I would say... I would say the implication is that he was demasculated. Um, that he's just straight up got a micro penis, but I would assume because they made an effort to show it, it was meant to show that he was demasculated. Which does... That's fucked up on a different... On another different level. Jesus, fuck. It is, but... It makes sense with what we find out later on. Because. Now. As this is going on. John is meeting in town with his lawyer the next day. And his lawyer is like. Oh no 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 you're fine. There is no evidence. You'll be fine. But while he's talking. No no it's like. It's like a. It's like a comedy scene. He's like no it's fine. There's no evidence. We are all good. There was a phone call for you sir. Okay. Rick. Hello. I'm sorry, they have found evidence for you. <laughs> yes. Um, so his, his lawyer is the housekeeper's brother. And right. the housekeeper has called to state that she found Silvana's purse. She found Silvana's clutch in the house while cleaning. And as most of us ladies know, you don't go anywhere without your purse. Oh, and we should say it is at this point we also learn that Silvana is the police officer's, like... Baby mama. Are they married or do they just share a share a child? They share a child. Because the, the okay. officer vehemently denies that the child is his. But right. it's pretty obvious. And then the lawyer blackmails John. He's like, oh, yeah, no. After, after all this, we'll just discuss finance. And he's like, what? It's like, oh yeah, with with all this new information, uh, my fees are going to go up much, much higher. You son of a bitch. And he just gives gives John this cheeky smile. No, he's like, you bastard. And then he drops a truth bomb on John in that John's father was the man who married the Duchess and ran off. Giorgio was his son making... Giorgio, John's older half-brother. But he ran off. But he ran off with the Duchess's younger sister. Never divorced. And that makes John the real bastard. God damn. And, yes. that, and that's part of where the lurking fear came in. With how there is that Lovecraftian thing of, oh, and it turns out you were related to the monster the whole time. Well, that's that's not... In the original story, but this is a very loose adaptation of The Outsider. Right. I'm not saying that, but that is a typical trait of Lovecraft stories in general. That is true. Not necessarily that specific one, so it it fits. It still fits. Yes. Oh, and then we we get another kind of fucked up scene after this. Yes. Where the maid of the house... Agnese. ...is going down... Agnese... Hears screaming from down below, and she goes to investigate, 
and is constantly going back and forth trying to like build up the courage to go down there mm-hmm. where we go and we find and she finds Silvana all fucked up like covered in cuts and bruises and we, we before she gets there the freak was like eating her out but literally eating <laughs> actually her, eating it seems like <laughs> it's, right it's honestly a great visual pun it's it's up there with the head giving head yeah yeah but it's, it's a great as, visual as pun. the the freak runs away and she comes in and sees Silvana laying there and then Silvana turns to look at her like oh fuck she's still alive yes at first you think Silvana's dead you think she's dead because of the way she's positioned but no Silvana opens her eyes and she's still alive having to have been through all this and then the freak beats Agnese to death like straight up just it's, pummels this old woman into the ground. It's and at really this, fucked and at, up. And at this point, Silvana dies. Because I think she realizes that no one's coming to help her. So she passes away. Right. Damn. Now, Damn, with, movie. Yeah. Now with all of this going on, Susan has made plans to leave Rebecca. She can't trust John in the house anymore, especially because he's brought home a prostitute. He got drunk and he brought a whore home. But before Susan and Rebecca can get to the train station, they are stopped by the police who are looking to arrest John for Silvana's disappearance. John, on the other hand, has an epiphany. He's like, wait a second. I think I understand what's going on. No, it's like... um. Susan calls him a whipping boy and he starts to think about the whip that was in the Duchess's room and he starts to piece together what exactly might have gone on. Yes. Yeah. He, well, first of all, he runs into the into the house and he grabs a shovel and I'm like, oh, God, I'm getting reanimator flashbacks. <laughs> yes. The police find John down in the crypts, breaking into the tomb of Giorgio to prove that. They buried an empty coffin. Dun, dun, dun. Giorgio never died. The Duchess kept him alive to beat him as penance for his father leaving. And this is where it is revealed that Giorgio is the freak within the castle. You Well, the audience probably put it together by this point, but this is when everyone in the movie realizes it. But they still find the corpses of Silvana and Yanese, and the police promptly arrest John for murder. Well, it's really fucked up because the people that discover it is uh, Agnese's, uh sibling. Brother. And Silvana's... Baby yeah. daddy. And so the cop is like, I would I would best not speak until you've spoken to your ro- lawyer first. And then the lawyer looks at Jeffrey Combs and starts strangling the fuck out of him. Yes, it's so good. It's so, so good. So John is taken to the police station and Susan and Rebecca have to stay in the castle for the night with the police being there to keep an eye on them. Now Susan asks the police for a glass of water and we get an amazing kill at this point. It's real good. It's real good. We don't get many kills in this movie, but we get one of my favorites. As the policeman is in the kitchen preparing to get Susan a glass of water, he hears 
he hears something within the chimney flue. And there's a bunch of dust coming through. He looks up and the shackles, the chains come down, grab him by the neck, and he is dragged up the chimney. So good. Oh, it was one of the best parts of the movie. And this movie already had some great bits. Well, and after that, we cut back to Jeffrey Combs in the police station getting interrogated. And from what I've heard of Italy, you don't want to get caught by their police. It's not, it's not very good. Yeah, because they're basically insisting that he murdered them. And they're going to get a confession out of him one way or the other. Whether it be through coercion or through savage beating. Uh, they, it's, it's less of a tell us what happened and more of a tell us why you killed her. Yes. Well, after that is when the other cop is sent to get water, right? Yes. And Giorgio kills this one, too. With another good just... It, it's only on screen for a second, but the way that Giorgio like, comes up from behind him and rips his, part of his face off with his teeth... Yes. The gore, the gore there is real stringy, real gooey. It's real nice. I will say, there's not an overabundance of gore in this movie, but the gore that they have is so effective. It's incredibly uh, yeah, effective. It's, it's, that, it's, it's the restraint that they put the gore in that leads the gore that is there to be more impactful. Yes. This is a less is more situation. And after Giorgio has killed the police, he incapacitates Susan and abducts Rebecca. And while this is going on, John is stuck at the police station getting beaten by the Italian police because they don't believe that he that he didn't kill Silvana and Yanese. In the words of right. Jeffrey Combs, I didn't kill her, I fucked her, okay? It, it's real good. It's good. <laughs> it is very, very good. And then that's when he does commit a crime by assaulting a cop. Yeah, but the cop assaulted him first. Yeah, but he's also a cop. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I know, the cop leaves for a second. Jeffrey Combs grabs the baton, beats the shit yeah. out of the cop, and, and escapes to go and rescue his family. Yes. Now, we return to Giorgio having abducted Rebecca and realizes that she's blind. Right. He then takes off his sheet because he realizes, oh shit, she can't see me. I don't have to hide. Oh, oh I, I, and this is, this is a, this is a thing that was not brought up before, but there was a throwaway line where she's discussing how when she eventually does find a man, she won't need to worry about, she, she won't be judging him based on his looks. She'll only be judging him based on how, who he really is. And yeah. now she's talking like, oh, at least I'll have to find a guy that's actually pr a pretty good guy. Yes. And then, you know. Yeah, she. We, he, she found the castle freak. Yes. Um, previously, she had had a little bit of an argument with her mom in regards to her disability because she's like, I need to be able to handle this on my own. I need to be able to be independent. But there's also a lot of things I don't have to worry about. I don't have to worry about driving a car. I don't have to worry about prom, which is doesn't make a whole lot of sense because i mean she'd probably still go to prom but and then the whole oh i'll find a man based on his character and not his appearance it's but, almost like this was written as a movie <laughs> i think it was oh my god 
<laughs> well, it turns out Giorgio has claimed Rebecca as his own. Yeah, and it's when we get... Well, Rebecca's in her bra at this point because I think she was changing her clothes when the castle freak abducted her. Yeah. When mom comes down and tries to seduce the castle freak. Well, she offers herself up instead. Basically, take me, not my daughter. And as she kind of... She kind of tantalizes him with a bit of her own boobage. And as he comes closer to inspect, she stabs Giorgio in the back with a hidden knife. Goddamn. Yes. Uh, Barbara Crampton is so capable. I love it. I love it. And then we initiate a a chase scene. Yes. We initiate a chase scene. As they go through the house... After they had left Giorgio, he jumps out of a second-story window, buck-naked, to chase Susan and Rebecca through the castle. It was great. It was so good. Now, here's another another bit that I could write a paper on. They end up in the Duchess's room, and Giorgio finds the cat of nine tails that his mother used to beat him. He recognizes it. And... He takes out his frustrations and repressed anger and anguish on the nearby wardrobe that Susan and Rebecca are hiding in. It's like the opposite of Jason Voorhees. Yes. Years of all of that anger pent up, being chained, being beaten for something that is not his fault. It, uh. It's one of those things where one of the aspect, one of the ways this movie could have delved or one of the things that this movie could have delved into is if if he even remembers at this point why he's locked up and why he was being beaten they never but that was one aspect that could have been expanded upon if they really wanted to yes they could have definitely expanded on that but it's just so interesting because you see the way he acts when he recognizes this whip it's so good it's just it's just such a good movie. Yes. Now, Giorgio does slip out of the Duchess's room, and Susan and Rebecca come out of hiding, but they manage to make some noise, and he chases after them again, and everyone ends up in the, roo- in the rain on the roof. Rebecca, Susan, Giorgio, and John comes in at this point, finally. I will say, I have written very few notes about this, point in the film just because of how much i was enjoying watching it yes oh it's so good so we find the showdown our half brothers fight on the castle shingles while giorgio hangs minuscule dong he hangs balls (laughs) he does indeed hang testes now this is a really interesting fight yes where i forget exactly how jeffrey combs kind of Defeats him in the first place. He's wrestling with the Castle Freak. And he throws him to the side. And you think the Castle Freak's been defeated. But he hasn't. Well, what he did did was he was... They were wrestling on the shingles of the roof in the rain. And John is beating Giorgio's head against the shingles. And for a moment he lays still. Thinks he's won. Right. But of course he comes back. They always do. 
And here's another thing right. I loved. Giorgio uses the whip on John in a mirror of the opening shot. Yes. It's so good. And John gets brought down by the whip. And this is my favorite part of the movie is the ending. Where he's laying in the rain, barely able, only slightly able to get up. And the chain that Giorgio has had on his wrist this entire time is coiling by Jeffrey Combs. And as Giorgio's about to, like, attack his family, he grabs the chain, puts it on his own hand, and jumps off the roof right where he was contemplating it earlier, dragging himself and Giorgio off the roof and defeating him once and for all. Which is another wonderful thing in regards to the rest of this movie because this is John taking responsibility. This is John sacrificing himself to save his family and taking responsibility for what is essentially his. He is taking taking responsibility for the actions of his father. He's taking responsibility for his half-brother and it ends up killing them both. Not before Susan and John get out I love you's for the final time and John dies in the rain. And our movie ends with a coffin being loaded into a car. A few men tipping their hat to Susan and Rebecca who are in black and grieving. And the police officer finally taking responsibility for his son. Whack the schmack and down. <laughs> Zoom out. Full moon features. Coming up next. Trancers 18. <laughs> no. No, I really liked this one. Oh, this was so, this was good. so good. This was so good. Oh. I, I, on the ending of the film, I'm glad, so glad this film had a nice somber ending. Yes. This is... There was no winners in this story. No. It's... There were bits of camp, as is to be expected, but this was a serious story with real emotion and some real amazing beats of... of open-endedness. Like... Intention, motivation, upbringing, responsibility. There were so many different beats here. This is probably... I'm genuinely struggling to think of any ways to improve it that wouldn't just be upping production value. Yes. Now, this did get a remake in 2020. I've not seen it. Do we have to talk about that? Do we have to talk about the remake? No, because I've not seen it. I know very little about it, and I'm going to keep it that way for now. Because I don't want to spoil this. Because this is probably the best we've seen on this series so far. I would genuinely... Like, Reanimator is clearly in a league of its own. But as kind of a Stuart Gordon trilogy... I think this from Beyond and Reanimator all exist in that same same kind of level. Yes, I would agree. Cuz if if you've watched Reanimator and From Beyond, you can you can feel the Gordon touches. You can feel that it is his film. 
And it just proves that in the right hands, a small budget does not mean much. And this is probably the and this is probably the best movie we're gonna see on this on this podcast. So I'm gonna enjoy it we're, while we're I can. Still, we still got to get to um let me let me look at the list. Um <laughs> Attack of the Fifty Foot Cam Girl. <laughs> oh gosh. I just want to ride this high for a little while because this was so good. It's it's I, just genuinely such a good movie. I'm so pleased. I am so incredibly pleased. Anyway, we got to stop talking. You know what? I'm I. I guess we should just say we recommend this to anyone that likes good horror movies. Yes. And you know, I don't. I don't even want to say who would you team this up with because I feel like Castle Freak is just. In this its only, own league. Yes. You can't really improve on this. Like Yeah, and this is not this is not the film to be like, ooh, the Castle Freak 2 get freakier or whatever. <laughs> no, this is a this is a standalone film. This is a story that is tied up in a bow. We don't need it does not need to be expanded upon. No. Now, as for next episode, uh, we'll we'll see how that turns out. Cause oh Jesus Christ, what are we even watching? So we're looking at 1996's Demon in the Bottle, directed by a man who worked on the visual effects for Lord of the Rings. Visual effects and directing are two different things, Casey. It is, but that does mean that he's probably got a good eye for detail. But we shall see. In the meantime, I'm just going to keep riding this high, and I might go rewatch Reanimator. Here's a question. Are you going to rewatch Castle Freak at any point? I might, honestly. I liked this one a lot. I might, I might as well. I might show this to people. I, I'm very tempted to have a Gordon Trilogy watch party. That would be great. Yeah, this... This might be something that we do at some point. I just need to get y'all into a into a watch party and we just watch Reanimator from Beyond should, and Castle Freak. You should watch it with your bridal party. You're part of it, that dude. I know because I want to watch it. <laughs> no, I don't think that anyway, would go over somewhat with some people. Go go watch if, Go watch Castle Freak with your bridal party. I don't. I know <laughs> some of you probably don't have one, so go get a bridal party and then watch us. <laughs> just, just don't watch the 2020. Watch the 1995 one. Don't Is get there... those mixed up. Yeah, don't get those mixed up. 1995. If you watch 2020, you're gonna burst into flames. And, and maybe, and that, maybe, I and hope... maybe get your dick cut off. Oh, you certainly will. <laughs> Uh, and that will certainly lead you to an absolutely horrible evening. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.